Everybody happy? Amen. Good. I need I need happy folks this morning. Several weeks ago, the Lord impressed in my thoughts and in my heart this thought that I'm going to share with you today, titled "The Miriam Effect." The Miriam. How many of you know who Miriam is in the Bible? Oldest sister of Aaron and Moses. <clears throat> probably like most sisters, she probably got bossy from time to time. My late sister, who happens to be the third in line of the siblings, I miss her desperately. Boy, she could get bossy. My sister Denise could get bossy. But then I would let her know I was the oldest. Back her down. Amen. The Miriam Effect. I invite your attention to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Sounds like siblings, does it not? For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Careful now, Miriam and Aaron. Careful, careful. Watch out where you're going here, Miriam. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. If you forget everything else I say here today, remember this. Whatever comes out of your lips, the Lord hears it. In fact, He knows it's coming out of your lips before you ever get it out. And the Lord heard it. Now I want you to notice this next verse, and there's a reason why this verse is in there. Now the man Moses was a very humble. He was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And you know why that's there? Moses never said a word to Miriam and Aaron about their ascension. He just let it roll off his back. He was a humble man. He he knew God had heard it. That's all that mattered to him. He wasn't interested in retaliation. He could have said to them, Whoa, who do you people think you are? Don't you know I am the friend of God? I'm the one that goes to the mountaintop and meets with Him face to face, and you stand here? No, he didn't. Never said a word. Never went after Him. Never opened His mouth. Because He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You for this day You have given us. Oh, I thank You for Your Word. I pray that You will anoint us today to hear, to receive, and to apply what Your heart speaks to us here today. Lord, I pray that You just open our understanding, use this vessel today, and we'll thank You for it and praise You for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. 
Before I get into the content of this sermon this morning, this would be a little unusual. I actually had thought I would do this for a Bible study and put this together under a Bible study structure, but the Lord said no. In fact, I almost done this this past Wednesday night. He said, no, you do it on Sunday morning. So here we are. We're going to slow down a little bit. I know usually I get pretty passionate and wound up sometimes, but I'm going to try to stay in an even keel because I don't want you to miss what the Lord is speaking to our hearts today. After the Bible tells us that Moses was the most humble man, there's something very interesting comes up. The Bible said, suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, I can almost visualize my dad stepping out on the back porch where us siblings got into it. All right, I want all three of you in here right now. And we knew that when he called us in, he would get to the bottom of the squabble. And he would get the record set straight. So God says to Moses and to Miriam and to Aaron, get down here to the tabernacle. Now I'm going to tell you, when God calls you out and He tells you to get down to the tabernacle, you better make haste. Amen. And when they get down there, and I'm not going to go into all the details of this, but when they get down there to the tabernacle, the Lord comes in in the cloud of glory. There they stand together. I don't know whether they were at the back, whether they were midway, whether they were at the front of the tabernacle, just where they at, but the Lord calls Aaron and Miriam out and says, I want you two to come down here. Amen. He had their undivided attention. I believe it is safe to say that we live in a society of self-appointed and self-proclaimed critics. If you don't believe me, listen to the news a while. In fact, there are those in our culture today who make their living critiquing other people, as well as the things that they say. Well, I know that over the years, especially in the Pentecostal movement, I've been the subject of critique around many dinner tables. Go like this, I know it to be so. Amen. With that being said, I think it's important to point out, as we consider this biblical analogy, when Miriam, the big sister to Moses, criticized her brother because of the wife he chose, the Lord heard it. And consequently, she was smitten with leprosy. Now, it's not uncommon for individuals in our culture to grow up in households that are forever finding fault. That's a tragedy, but there are households that are that way. Fortunately, I was never in one of them. And as a result, it is passed down from one generation to another. Now, please understand, as born-again children of God, oftentimes we cannot enjoy God's blessings as a result of being programmed to inspect programmed to nitpick and programmed to form opinions and usually they're negative ones. Everybody say amen. Peter quoting Old Testament writing points out in his writings to the church in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 For he 
who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Can you say amen to the word? That's not my phrase. That's the word of the Lord. The definition of the word criticism is as follows. Pay close attention now. Brother Bordeaux's going to throw it up on the screen. Criticism, dwelling upon the perceived faults of another with no view to their good. Now, we all have faults, right? I'll give you a minute to decide whether you do or not. We, we, we all have faults. We all have strong points. We all have weaknesses. Dwelling upon that, the perceived faults of another with no view to their good should cause us to pause and think for just a moment. First of all, there's that word perceived. Often our perceptions of others and things aren't accurate. There's always circumstances that we don't know about and we don't understand. Next we come to the words dwelling upon. We humans are inclined to walk through life saying, well, that's not right. Or, I wouldn't do it that way. Then oftentimes we hear, well, I'm an analytical person, so it's how God made me. Amen. That's fine, but the problem comes when we choose to dwell on our observations when we can't seem to set them aside. Then there's the argument, but how can I help somebody if I don't dwell on what they're doing? I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus talked about. You know, hey, here you are trying to pull the plank out of the other guy's eye and you got stuff in your eye. That's why the last part of this definition, with no view to their good, is so important. It's not wrong to dwell upon someone's faults, provided we do it in a non-judgmental way with a view to helping them find a solution. Does that mean it's okay to discuss it with a third party? No. Keep it confidence, pray about it, and attempt to help. Amen. I think it's important to inject at this point, remember we're talking about the Miriam effect. I think it's important to point out, so there's no misunderstandings, God did deal with Moses because of some of the mistakes that he made. In fact, one of them kept him from entering the promised land. Nevertheless, God wouldn't permit anyone else to criticize Moses nor to critique him, not even his big sister Miriam. Amen. As you may recall, Paul writing to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 used the adventures of the wilderness church to illustrate the importance of the lessons that we learn from their experience. Things to do, things not to do. So what can we learn from this illustration of Miriam and Aaron and this conflict between them and Moses? First of all, we are capable of harboring a critical attitude. We are able to do that. If you don't believe me, look right up here. I've proven that time and time again. We are capable of harboring a critical attitude. Miriam had great qualities. 
was a wonderful woman. Don't misunderstand. She saved Moses' life as a child. It was her that hid in the bushes as she watched Pharaoh's daughter's servants go and pluck Moses out of the cattails there along the riverbank. It was her that went and offered to find someone to nurse Moses out of the house of the Israelites for Pharaoh's daughter. It was her that went and got her mother to go and take this child. Oh, she had some wonderful qualities. Fine woman. She wrote a song of praise. A praise Israel used to celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea. You remember her and the daughters of Israel got their tambourines out and man, I mean, they had church right on the banks of the Red Sea. But she paid a high price for her critical attitude. Leprosy. The second thing is, when we're resentful, we become critical. Miriam began to talk against Moses because of his Gushite wife. But let me ask you, let's just get right down to where the rubber meets the road. Was that the real issue? No. No, that wasn't it. Watch this. They said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? In other words, who does he think he is? He just thinks he's a big shot, doesn't he? All the time running the show. All the time telling us what to do. All the time thinking he's got this divine connection with God. And we're just quite tired of it. Right? But when the Lord spoke to Moses and uh, to to Miriam and Aaron about this, he said... Hey, you know what? If I have a prophet, I make myself known to the prophet in a vision. I make myself known to the prophet in a dream. It's not been that way with Moses. Miriam and Aaron, I talked to Moses face to face. Miriam and Aaron, he sees my form. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? You see, Moses' wife was just a diversion. The real issue was Moses' success. Their beef was, if you will, how come he gets all the attention? He was the youngest of the three. Moses was. You didn't know that? Yeah, he was the baby of the family. And we know how the babies get all the attention. I've got a baby brother. Sometimes I like to wring his neck. And he's a growing man by, in fact, he's way up, pretty close to 50 before long. Oh, yeah, Moses got all the attention. Third, anytime you succeed, you're going to get criticized. Amen? The Bible says Moses is very humble. Yet even he couldn't escape the pain inflicted by self-appointed critics. And we're no different. As long as we're alive, somebody will find fault with what we're doing. My suggestion and my word to you from the Lord is brush it off and just keep on going. Amen? Oh, if I were to quit every time somebody had critiqued me around the dinner table, I'd have quit the first week out. Number four, if you've been critical, you need to repent. 
Oh, Pastor, that's pretty harsh. Hang on with me for a minute. If you've been critical, you need to repent. When Aaron acknowledged we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned, God showed mercy and healed Miriam. In fact, Moses prayed for Miriam. Most of us humans would rather classify criticism as a weakness, right? Well, that's one of my weaknesses. That's one of my faults. You know how we do it, right? But from God's perspective, it's a genuine, bona fide, registered sin. And there's only one way to deal with it, with sin, and that's to repent and stop doing it, stop committing it, and continue on. Amen? I think it's important to note at this juncture. Everybody still all right? I've not made anybody mad yet. I'm not here to make you mad. <clears throat> Trust me, I... The Lord had to get a hold of me like this. Say, listen to me. <clears throat> I think it's important to note, having a critical attitude may not destroy your relationship with God, but it will definitely hurt your capacity to experience His love, to experience His presence and to experience His blessing. You see, here's the thing I've come to learn a long time ago. Each of you are a child of God. Whether I agree or disagree or affirm what you may or may not decide to do, I have no right to be critical. You belong to God and only He has the right and the sovereign authority to be critical. I can advise, I can admonish, I can say, you know, I don't know that I would do that, I don't know that I would do it. It's not my privilege to get critical, and neither is it yours. Amen. Please note, it was God who smote Miriam with leprosy. Moses had nothing to do with it. She started out by criticizing her brother Moses and ended up feeling the consequences in her relationship with Almighty God. Perhaps you're wondering why you're asking why. Because God pays attention to the way we treat each other. Perhaps you may be wondering, well, why would God make such a big deal out of this? I mean, after all, the brother and sister, you know, that's how they do it. They get quarrels and brothers and sisters, you know, they... Mm-mm. They could have disagreed with Moses' choice of a wife all day long. But when they got critical and used that as a means to challenge Moses' authority under God's command, they crossed the line. Because when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. Please understand, everything God classifies as sin is hurtful to us. Everything. When God says don't, what He is saying in essence is don't hurt yourself because there's consequences for all of our choices. Amen. When God says don't criticize, He's not attempting to deprive us of satisfaction. He's saying that having a critical attitude goes against who He made you to be and what we're called to do. 
Just as fish were made to swim and birds were made to fly, we were made to live in fellowship with God. And let me tell you, a critical spirit hinders that fellowship. Paul said in one place, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Even people who don't claim to be particularly religious are cognizant of the negative effects of criticism. In fact, to illustrate that point, a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Fink, author of a book entitled Released from Nervous Tension. Whew, boy, there's some days I could use that. <laughs> Released from Nervous Tension studied thousands of mentally and emotionally disturbed people. He worked with two groups. There was the stressed out group, and then there was the stress-free group. How many of you like to be in a stress-free group? Yeah. Anyway. The stressed out group, and eventually one, one of the groups emerged. The stressed out group was composed of habitual fault finders and constant critics of people and things around them. Then on the other hand, the stress-free group was loving and accepting of others, you know, this kind of that, you know, attitude, just that live and let live. There's no doubt about it, the habit of criticizing is a self-destructive way to live. So in the simplest terms, don't go there. God will take care of it. God took care of it with Moses, with Miriam and Aaron. Before I wrap this up, let me share with you some important observations. Can I do that? We're still doing all right. Did you know that criticism is often ego-based? Oswald Chambers wrote, and I quote, beware of anything that puts you in the place of the superior person, end quote. And that's exactly what criticism does. It highlights us as the one who knows. Not only that, it gives us the satisfaction of shining the spotlight on others. You see, people find it much harder to see our life when we're shining the glaring light of criticism on others. In other words, if I may put it in today's vernacular, we're trying to make ourselves look good at the expense of other people. Don't do that. Oh, that gets you in trouble with God. When we live this way, our attitude says, if I can't make it in this world by what I do, I'll make it by knowing what you should do better. Oftentimes the things I thought would be better if they were done my way. Didn't turn out so good. James writes in James chapter 3 and verse 10. Did you put that out? Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Ha, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. The second observation I want you to notice is this, that criticism can break hearts. Try for just a moment to put yourself in Moses' shoes. There's a lot he had to put up with. There was a lot going on. He had several million people that wanted a piece of his hide. And he was only doing what God called him to do. He didn't want the job. He didn't solicit for the job. In fact, he tried everything in his power to get out of the job. 
Amen? Oh, he did. <laughs> I don't want this. Imagine how Moses must have felt when his brother and his sister suddenly turned on him. You see, note, and here, here's, please understand this. And I've learned this experientially. Because the people closest to us know the details of our life. We're always vulnerable to their criticism. Some of the worst criticism I've incurred in my years in ministry has come from blood family. God bless them. Sometimes as parents, we leave our children's lives in shambles by creating homes that are rife with criticism. A lot of the issues that our children and our teenagers are facing today is because they've lived in homes that are rife with criticism. The third observation I'd like for you to note before I close this morning is how should we respond to criticism? There's an appropriate way to respond to criticism. Well, Paul answered the question this way in his writing to the church at Galatia, chapter 1 and verse 10. And I'll just let Paul answer the question, keep myself out of it. He said, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, Paul said, My only concern is to please Jesus Christ. Other than that, let him go. Instead of listening to your critics, center your attention on what God thinks of you and your life will take an upswing. It's because what God thinks is what really matters. In the final analysis, His is the only opinion that truly counts. Oh, I'm an opinionated person. I'll be the first to stand up and confess it with every ounce of strength I've got. You ask me about something, I've probably got an opinion. Right, wrong, or indifferent. But it's only his opinion at the end of the day that really counts. The Miriam effect, it'll get you if you're not careful. I close with these final thoughts. I don't know of anyone that wants to spend time, maybe you do, but I don't know of anyone who wants to spend time with someone who monopolizes the conversation by updating them on their top ten people to criticize list. In fact, I'll get out of that conversation real quick. Staying home and watching old movie reruns is probably more appealing than going to that kind of a party. I know perhaps it's a hard truth to hear, but the people we need most are the ones who avoid us when we become known as fault finders. Sometimes criticism is inadvertent. On a better day, led by God's Spirit and focused on what's positive, we'd never say such things. But we have our moments. We have our times when we've reached the end of our rope and our level of frustration is to the moon and we're just off the charts. And then we say things that we later look back and go, Oh God. I 
I shouldn't have done that. Don't you know that the seven days that Miriam was outside of the camp of Israel, you know, the church and the wilderness stopped for seven days. They didn't move. God told Moses, He said, alright, I'll, I'll, because you ask, I'll heal her. But according to the law and the custom, you put her outside the camp for seven days, and at the end of seven days, she can come back in, and you all can move on. Now, I don't know what would happen if Moses hadn't prayed. He threw himself on the ground and prayed, Oh God, heal her. I know sis was out of line, but heal her. Notice what Aaron said in contrast. In verse 11 of chapter 12 of Numbers, Aaron said, We have done foolishly. He didn't try to defend his position. Oh, don't we do that? We will somehow try to justify. We'll somehow try to defend our position. That's part of being human. He didn't try to defend his position by saying, yes, Moses did marry the wrong woman, and I, I, I want to go on record as not agreeing with that, but I probably shouldn't have said anything. No, that's not the approach Aaron took. Or he didn't say, we deserve more of the limelight. No, he never said that. No, he realized his mistake. He repented and retreated from it. And we must do the same as well. Why, perhaps you're wondering? Because criticism blocks the flow of God's Spirit and His blessing in our lives. I stand before you today to submit to you that a lot of the problems in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today are, as a, are a result of critical spirits Amen. and attitudes among God's people. Criticism blocks the flow of God's Spirit and blessing in our lives. Oswald Chambers wrote, I use quite a bit of his material from time to time as you notice, but he wrote, and I quote, Whenever you're in a critical temper, it's impossible to enter into communion with God. End of quote. God will have no part of it. He will not have any part of it. Stop and ask yourself, is the momentary relief I get from criticizing others worth losing my sense of God's presence? I'll answer that for you. Absolutely not. There's nothing worth losing the sense of God's presence. To regain that sense, and oh, I know this has been, whoo! To regain the sense of His presence, we need to confess and forsake our critical attitude. Then replace it with a more gracious and loving one. I'll be the first to stand here and tell you I make mistakes. There's not too many days go by I don't look at myself in the mirror and ask, What were you thinking? And there's many times the Lord is very quick 
to point out to me the error of my ways. That's part of doing what I do. He has no problems with grabbing me by the nab of the neck and saying, you hang on a minute, mister. You better listen to me. Amen. He's woke me up many times in the middle of the night and I sit up straight in the bed and he'll say, are you ready to talk to me now and listen to what I'm telling you? So to regain that sense of His presence, we need to confess and forsake our critical attitude, then replace it with a more gracious and loving one. So if that would be the situation you find yourself in today, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Perhaps this would be a suitable prayer to utter in such an instance. Lord, forgive me for thinking my perspective is always right. I acknowledge that as arrogance. Give me grace in dealing with others, the same grace I've received from you. Help me to accept our differences and not demand that everyone see things exactly as I do. Give me victory over my critical attitude. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Brother David, would you come? I recognize that this type of a sermon, or by you call it whatever you want, Bible study, meandering, whatever you want to call it, does not probably want us to jump up out of our seat and come running to the front. But if we're going to have the fellowship and the power and the glory restored to the church of Jesus Christ that belongs to it, we better learn how to repent and get out of the critical spirit. The Bible says the anger of the Lord was aroused against them after He set the record straight the glory of the Lord left the tabernacle and there was Miriam big sis standing there with leprosy over her entire body and there Moses threw himself on the ground prayed oh God don't do this to her Heal her. I want to see the glory, the majesty, and the power of Almighty God in the church today like it once was. But God will have no part of the kind of attitude and spirit that Miriam manifested towards her brother. And He will have no part of the church of Jesus Christ manifesting that kind of attitude and that spirit towards one another. Paul said it, be kindly affection to one another.
Oh, but they done wrong. Maybe they did. But remember, the Lord heard it. Yeah, but I don't know whether He'll do anything about it or not. Let me tell you, whether you see it in your lifetime or not, He will do something about it. But why did that happen that way in the book of Numbers? Because Miriam and Aaron's ascension to Moses stopped that church dead in its tracks until that was corrected. Amen. So what do you say? Would you stand?